You're listening to 94.1 KPFA, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, and 97.5 K248BR in Santa Cruz. You're also listening online at kpfa.org. Up next is Full Circle. Stay tuned. Affairs Radio Magazine. It's produced by apprentices of, of the First Voice Media Apprenticeship Program here at KPFA. And I'm your host tonight, Ron Thompson, with a special thanks to Miss M, my colleagues, Kumba Voses, and Full Circle for allowing me to produce another edition of Montage. Tonight's show is entitled Why Racism. I would discuss with my guests the history the culture, and the social impact of how black life doesn't matter. No matter who you are, what you do, once you leave your little circle, you too could be at risk. So please, stay with me. Black is me, black is me, black is us, black is free. Black is us, black is me, black is us, black is free. Black is free, black is me, black is us, black is free. Black is you, black is me, black is us, black is free, black is me, black is me, black is us, black is free, black is us, black is me, black is us, black is free, black is free, black is me, black is us, black is free, black is you, black is me, black is us, black is free, black is me, black is me.
Welcome back to Full Circle on KPFA 94.1. And if you've just tuned into our show, tonight is, the show is Why Racism? And that music you just heard was Black Pearl by Sonny Charles and the Checkmates. Now, this song and tonight's show is a tribute to black women everywhere on the planet to lift them up to the highest esteem because they certainly do our, their job lifting us up. They certainly do their job holding their space in the stalwartness of the war that we're experiencing. So this is also in honor and respect to a few of the recent losses to humanity. Miss Cynthia Robinson, the trumpeter extraordinaire and chief cornerstone to the great band Sly and the Family Stones. Miss Natalie Cole, vocalist extraordinaire and daughter of the strong musical force Nat King Cole. And last but surely not least, Dr. Francis Cress Welsing, psychiatrist and Afrocentrist, best known for her writings, The Isis Paper and The Cress Theory on Color Confrontation and racism. Now we first take a look and listen to the genius understanding and importance to recognize the combat, the miseducation of black youth in almost any school in any city USA. As brought to you to as I'm sorry, as brought to our attention through Jada Williams and her essay. This essay will be narrated by Nafi Watson. So, when you think about it, there's also going to be some very intense and stimulating conversation with a young author, Miss Ashley Tulse, who hates white America. Now, as we talk to her about her new book, I Hate white America. Later, we'll get an insight into the deeply rooted hate and character assassination of the black man. And as we talk with the Renaissance woman also, Sister Kujikajalia, an oral historian, griot, musician, cultural artist, lecturer, and author of Recognizing and Resolving the Roots of Racism, and also Elephant in the Room, an anthology of articles, essays, and poetry. But we're going to turn first to the bright young lady with a searching literary mind, a mind that should have been nurtured by her teachers and celebrated as an engaged and engaging pupil. Instead, this 13-year-old eighth grader, this eighth grade student was hounded out of her Rochester, New York City school after she completed and handed in her assignment in December of 2011. Like other students in the school, Jada Williams was asked to read the narrative of the life of Frederick Douglass over the Christmas holiday and write a report on what she thought of it. The result of her thoughts caused a hornet's nest of ugly energy towards her from her teachers and the administration at that school. So much so, she had to be moved from her school. Please listen. During my Christmas break, I had the opportunity to read the narrative of the life of Frederick Douglass. The Rochester City School District supplied us with this novel to read 
and expected me to expand on what I read and how it made me feel. As I myself being an African American and an eighth grader in the Rochester City Learning Institute. Before I began reading this novel, I had heard about it prior from a few older people that read it and raved about it. I myself experienced it differently. I had some mixed emotions towards it. When reading this novel, my first impression was, what am I reading? The content of this narrative was far more advanced for me. I found myself getting a dictionary and a thesaurus to look up the words I've never seen before in my life. On the other hand, I was very appreciative because it helped expand my vocabulary. So with that, I am grateful. After being able to cross-reference the words unknown to me, I was able to read through this novel again with a clearer understanding. That's when it all sank in. So then I began to feel very angry to read such material that was brutal and degrading to African-Americans. Furthermore, I myself began to question as to why the Rochester City School District would supply us with this novel that would evoke such emotions. I also began to question what were the district's motive and the intent behind us reading about history that does not complement the right race and their behaviors at all. What would come about this? Would they even consider my thoughts and my opinions? So I'm very curious to see what the turnout will be. The one passage I would like to focus on was written on page 20 where it quoted Mr. Obbs, a master mentioned in the narrative, opinions toward black and education. And I quote, very soon after I went to live with Mr. and Mrs. Odds, she very kindly commenced to teach me the ABCs. After I learned this, she assisted me in learning to spell words three or four letters. Just at this point of my progress, Mr. Odds found out what was going on and at once forbid Mrs. Oz to instruct me further, telling her, among other things, that this was unlawful and as well unsafe to teach a slave to read, to use his own words for he would take a ill if a nigga should note anything but to obey his master to do as he is told to do learning will spoil the best nigger in the world now said he if you teach that nigger speaking of myself how to read there will be no keeping him it will further unfit him to be a slave he would at once become unmanageable and no value to his master as to himself, it could do him no good, but a great deal of harm. 
it would make him discontented and unhappy skipping down i now understood what have been to me the most perplexing difficulty to wit the white man's power to enslave the black men it was a grand achievement and i prized it highly from that moment i understood the pathway from slavery to freedom i now understood what have been to me the most perplexing difficulty to wit the white man's power to enslave the black men it was a grand achievement and i prized it highly from that moment i understood the pathway from slavery to freedom frederick douglas concluded my thoughts this type of thinking is somewhat still prevalent in our society today. Most white teachers that I have come into contact with over the last several years of my life have failed to instruct us even today. The teachers are not as vocal about us not learning how it has been described in this narrative, but their actions speak volume. When I myself sit in a crowded classroom and no real concrete instruction is taking place, it makes that saying, history does repeat itself all the more true. For white teachers to be able to be in a position of power to dictate what I can, cannot, and will learn, only desiring that I may get bored because of the inconsistency and the mismanagement of the classroom and remain illiterate and ignorant, or better yet, distracted because of some children decided to misbehave because they do not understand and ashamed to ask for help. The teacher recognizing all of these things and still not addressing the matter at hand. So much time has been wasted. And then the bell rings on to the next class. Same drama, different teacher, different class. When do we get off of this roller coaster? When the white teachers began to pass out pamphlets and packets, then they expect us, the black students, to read the directions, complete it, and hand it in for a grade. The reality of this is that most of my peers cannot read and or comprehend the material that has been provided. So I feel like not much has changed. Just different people, different era, the same old discrimination still resides in the hearts of the white men. In closing, my suggestions to my peers, people of color and my generation, try to achieve what has been established by the African-Americans and abolitionists that paved the way for us to receive what's rightfully yours. Blood, sweat, and tears have been shed for us to obtain any goals which we may set for ourselves, never being afraid to excel and achieve because our ancestors have been bound for so, 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 so long. We are free to learn. And my advice to my peers, people of color and my generation, start making these white teachers accountable for instructing you. They chose this profession. They brag about their credentials. They brag about their tenure. So if you have so much experience, 
then find a more productive way to teach the so-called unteachable. They contain this document that state they have all this knowledge to teach. So teach me what you know. Teach me your ways. What merit is this? If you contain all this knowledge and not willing to share because the color of my skin, to all of our surprise, we all have the same warm red blood running through our veins, regardless of what race I may be. If you do not believe me, then poke me and poke a white man and you will see. To my peers, people of color and my generation, start asking questions. Start doing the research to get involved. A grand price was paid in order for us to be where we are today. But in my mind, we should be a lot further. So again, I encourage the white teachers to instruct and I encourage my people to not just be a student, but to become a learner. My, 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 I wonder if it invoked in you what it invoked in me. I will simply say that these people were not ready for this young lady. I remember back in the day there was a commercial that said, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. Just think, if she hadn't had the fortitude to nurture herself. If she hadn't been bright enough to grab a thesaurus and dictionary and rise to the challenge of reading something that she didn't understand, something that was above her head, the writings of the orator, Mr. Frederick Douglass. And she was able to get it and draw the comparisons of that time, slavery time, and what they had in mind for you black folks, and today, when there still is very little teaching being done, when Johnny and Janie are getting out of high school and can't read, this 13-year-old, this 8th grader, she offended her English teacher so much that the teacher copied the essay for other teachers and the principal and they started to ostracize this young lady. She went from an A student to getting D's and such, and her parents had to take her out of the school. So we have to think about what we're doing today, folks. She gave a real nice admonishment to you, to you youngsters. Before I leave this segment, I want to go to one other fact that deals with why and how black lives don't matter. We see it with the police department and other departments of authority in our community. This also comes from Frederick's book about that time. This reading from Frederick Douglass should, can and should incite rage and astonishment at the depths to which barbaric slave owners and their deputies sank in treating their fellow man. 
Now, the violence perpetrated upon Douglas and other slaves by the protected class of overseers is relied, uh, relayed in stark details to which here is an antidote about an overseer named Mr. Gore. Now, Mr. Gore once undertook to whoop one of Colonel Lloyd's slaves by the name of Dimby. He had given Dimby but a few stripes when to get rid of the scorching, he ran and plunged himself into a creek and stood there at the depth of his shoulder, refusing to come out. And Mr. Gore told him that he would give him three calls and that if he did not come out at the third call, he would shoot him. The first call was given. Dimby had no response but stood his ground. The second and third calls were given with the same result. Mr. Gore then, without consultation or deliberation with anyone, not even giving Dimby an additional call, raised his musket to his face, taking deadly aim at his standing victim, and in an instant, poor Dimby was no more. He, Gore, was asked by Colonel Lloyd and my old master, why he resorted to such extraordinary uh, expedient. His reply was, well, as as well as I can remember, that Dimby, he had just become unmanageable. So many young black men are killed because they didn't do right now, in an instant, what the police said you should do. because of no more than being unmanageable. You disobeyed me. Think about it, folks. Think about it. You're listening to KPFA 94.1 in Berkeley. We're going to listen to a little music for the next segment coming up. We're going to go south.
well. Welcome back to Full Circle on 94.1 FM. I'm your host, Ron Thompson, and before Southern Girl, you heard Jada's essay read by Nafi Watson. And we have a Southern Girl that we're going to talk to next on the phone. By that, I mean we're going to be talking to Miss Ashley Tose, an aspiring artist, chef, journalist, and entrepreneur, and resident of Jackson, Mississippi. In her words, I Hate White America is a book about racism, stereotypes, and havoc in America between white America and black America. Now, despite the usage of hate, this book was written with questions and answers to help America understand black America in the 21st century. I Hate White America is not a book expressing my hatred, she says, for white America, but rather my aggravation. The world has consumed the sensible average America in some shape, form, or fashion. And this book forces and focuses on realities and truths of the world, white America and black America. So now we'll listen as the last poets before the white man came sets up the kind of energy and mentality that she's referring to when she says she hates white America. I wish to be. Tell me not that I'm fanatic for the things I feel inside. They are flowers of oppression, born of pain I cannot hide. Do not look upon my actions as the acts of one insane when I take up modern weapons to avenge my father's name. Let your eyes scan all the ghettos through the books of history. Then you'll understand this feeling and just how it came to be. Sure, I must admit I'm bitter for the precious blood I've bled and for the years of cruel oppression that you've heaped upon my head, for the rape of my grandmothers and the mulattoes that you've left, for the many, 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 many years of slavery with his legacy of death. Tell me not that I'm a dreamer. Oh, no, it's you that cannot see. I'm just another victim of a cruel reality. What man of man is this I ask who roams the seven seas, who graced the skies of birds of dawn and wanders where he please, who walks into another's home and takes his property, then slays the man, his wife and child in the name of liberty? What man of beasts is this I ask? Who drops the napalm from the skies Then send my sons away to war To maim and kill and die What man of man is this I ask Who arrogantly displays his might 
But man, oh man, is this my friend? Needless to say, he's white. So take your hands off of me, white folks. I've done you no wrong. I'm only guilty of making you strong. I've built all of your cities, and I've worked in your minds. I've fought to protect you many a time. It was I who taught you what it is to be brave. I had great civilizations when you lived in caves. I taught you what soap was when you dyed yourselves blue. I taught you planting and harvesting too. I showed you what clothes were to cover your backs when you were in wolf skins and running in packs. When you knew nothing of the barrier of sound, it was I who taught you that this planet was round. In Palermo, Sicily, and Italy and Spain, I left monuments of my grandeur and fame. And during your dark ages, when your people were blind, I built universities to enlighten your kind. When your homeland was weak and your people were poor, it was I who brought you to America's shore. Why you did not even know how to survive, I showed you medicine to keep you alive. How earnest you seemed, how well you did learn, how vile the reward I received in return. But time is on my side. I'm sure you must know that the day will arrive when you reap what you sow. For I gave you religion, and you know it's a fact that the Christ and the Buddha and Muhammad were black. I taught you to dance, and I taught you to sing. You repaid me with treachery, with slavery, and chains. So don't touch me, Whitey, and don't look surprised. No, I'm no longer fooled by your tricks and your lies. I'm aware of your game and of your history, and I'm aware of the Judas that you've been to me. So watch out for me, white folks. It's a matter of time. I'll soon be together. Then vengeance is mine. Welcome, Miss Ashley Tose. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Very good, and thank you for joining us. Ashley, you have a very provocative title to your book. Tell us, what made you write this particular book? Um, a racist experience made me write the book. And since racism is so prevalent in my city and state, which is Jackson, Mississippi, it kept me motivated. I was only 16 when I began writing I Hate White America. And, you know, in my city and state, racism is at every corner, at every courthouse. It's just everywhere you look, everywhere you turn. So I had to write something that expressed how I felt on the inside. Would you care to share that particular experience that sparked your writing? Um, I don't mind. Long story short, um, as I said, I was only 16, and I had an older white gentleman speak to me in a manner that he had no business, and he just tried to make me feel low. You know, like he, I just felt like he talked to me like I was something that was stuck at the bottom of his shoe. And it made me so angry because he was also in a position of power and he used his racist, biased thought in addition to saying things he shouldn't have said to me in order to try to make me feel less than. And after that, I just had to, I started writing. Okay. 
So how did you do your research? You have so much accurate history. You're such a historian. Where did you get the, how did you facilitate yourself to get all of this history? Well, one of the things that I began to do was read books written by black people. Because <laughs> those are the only people who really write true um, black history. And I also began to read books that not only were by black authors, but that were about slavery. I began to read books about slavery, read interviews that slaves gave during the time of the Emancipation Proclamation. Richard, uh, yeah, Richard Wright. Um, I read some of, you know, his books and autobiographies and things like that. And, you know, it's everywhere on TV. It's all over the Internet. So it wasn't, it was took some doing, but it wasn't, it wasn't hard to see the racism. It was just hard to find truth when most of the time in our country, the real truths are covered up. It is kind of hidden, isn't it? Now, you write, I was impressed, you write some things about the Ku Klux Klan that was an education to me. I mean, you really got down inside of the Klan's thinking and their activities. How did you get so in-depth there? Well, as far as the Ku Klux Klan goes, once again, I'm from Mississippi, you know, and, and when I was growing up, I was afraid of them. You know, I would... It was like this thing where if I saw a white sheet, you know, even though I, I had not seen one in, in the physical form, but just, you know, growing up in the state, and it was just like I was afraid, you know, and it was just like, oh, my gosh, what are they going to do to me, you know? And I was just, like I said, once afraid of black history in itself, but as I began to research and read, the Ku Klux Klan is, is still always actively seeking new members. So the material that they have, their ways of thinking and their ideology is really not hard to find. I agree. You also talk quite a bit about the nature of the beast, meaning America or white America. Yeah. And you talk about the military, you talk about politics. Mm-hmm. You talk about the financial consideration. You say race and capabilities. Racism, the belief that the race is a primary determinant of human traits and capabilities and that racial difference produce an inherent superiority of a particular race. That is kind of the way that people look at things. White people, yeah. I mean, and and kind of the way that people look at white people. Well, that's one reason because that's what they've been taught. But um, that that definition um is somewhat in, of my own words because I, I there are a lot of words that people use, and then you say, well, that's the word, and this is the meaning, but the the content and context of the meaning does not fit the situation or whatever. So. Some people say, well, the definition of racism is black people mad or racism. And it's, and it's like in our country, no, racism basically defines where you fall in our society, where you fall in our caste system. And it's, it's very prevalent in the decision making that we make for ourselves and that people that we're involved with, interact with and work with. It plays a part of the decisions that they make towards us as well. I understand. And you also say 
You say that we did it to ourselves. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? Well, I don't think that originally, you know, that this was something that black people said, well, we're going to go and enslave ourselves mentally, physically, psychologically, emotionally, to some white people who really don't know nothing about nothing. They're on a quest to see who, you know, to see what they can find. Um, I don't think that that happened, but I do believe that over time, we have played a huge part in our demise because we're doing it to ourselves because we're uneducated. We're doing it to ourselves because we're not instilling, you know, anything in our children that the next generation can hold on to, can cling to. It seems like we still don't know what our identity is or who we are as a community. And a lot of people don't know on an individual level. You know, I feel like that we we all see that there's pain and that there's struggle and that there's anger and there's anguish in our community, but we still can't get on the same page about exactly what we're angered about, exactly who and what causes pain and exactly what can be done. And it just seems like, you know, we're trying to fight a war against white supremacy and you know, racial um, bias acts and things against us, but it's always happening in small groups, you know. You know, like when you when you look at Jehovah's Witnesses, as an example, no matter which kingdom hall you go to, they're studying the same thing, right? Same thing for the Latter-day Saints, you know. They're on the same page. Regardless if everybody agrees or not, regardless of, you know, and even with white people, they're on the same page. Look out for the white man. You know what I'm saying? If it's, if it's white over black, if it's white versus black, then it's always white over black. That, that's, that's, their, that's their mojo. You know, that's what they do. And we, as a, as a society and as a group of people, we don't even get along with the people in our own houses, you know, we're still we're still fighting amongst ourselves about well who going who you trying to be a leader you trying to be the boss you know and and it's it's always so much propaganda that's always thrown at us in addition to the distractions of entertainment and things like that on top of the miscommunication of between our own selves amongst ourselves and the fact that we don't even know our history. Very so that's why I feel like we've done it to ourselves. It's very we well spoken. Put things in place to stop it. Very well spoken, very well articulated. And I will say that you're right. The slavery game was quite a game. It's still in effect. It's still prevalent so much and you're right no one is going to rescue us except for us so now Ashley what do you want people in general to take away from your writings your views what do you want your book to do for the population at large well I want I want my book to stand, honestly, to stand as a testament of a of a young black woman living in a racist society and in one of the most racist states of the nation that still waves the Confederate flag proudly and they're still willing to die for racist beliefs. So I want people to first take a 
good look at that. And um, I also want to rattle a few cages and question some of the traditional thinking, question some of the things that we were taught inside our home by our parents, both black and white, and just to take a look at what what kind of society do we want to live in and what kind of society do we want to raise our children in and what kind of society do we want to see the coming generation living in. Very good, very good. Ashley, how can people get in touch with you if they want to communicate with you, if they want to uh, buy your book? All right, well, my book is available on um, most major websites, Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, BooksAmillion.com. Um, I also have an email address for my book, I Hate, a White, I Hate White America, at gmail.com. And also, my publishing company has my book posted on their website as well, which is our university. Very so there, there are many ways that you can um, get my book. It's also available on ebook. Okay, very good, very good. You've covered all the bases. I like that. Ashley, you're a giant inspiration to me. You touch my heart in a lot of ways because you're out there doing something about alleviating this pressure that people are under. You're a beacon, you're a light for the millennials and, and, and younger than that. And I thank you for that. Well, I thank you for having me on your show, Mr. Thompson. It is my pleasure. And we will talk again for sure. Thank All you right. very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye now. Such a beautiful Southern girl. I'm your host, Ron Thompson, and I would now like to welcome my good sister, Kujikajalia, the warrior scholar, the lecturer, the historian. How are you today? I am fantastic. How are you? Very well, very well. So glad well. to be here. Thank you. I'm glad that you're here. <laughs> you know, your daughters were just here. That's I heard <laughs> that. That was wonderful. Yes, but go tell it. The Harriet yes. Tubman story. Yes. Yes, yes. I understand you did some directing on yes, that. Yes, I was the director. It was phenomenal. Phenomenal cast, everything. They sound yes. good. I was just so in love when she started to sing those. Oh, my gosh. It's phenomenal. Just like phenomenal. I said, oh, my goodness. Yeah, it makes your heart want to cry. Listen, so much stuff is going on. Yes, there is. And, you know, thanks to uh, white supremacy and racism, the entire planet, whether you live, if you're south of the moon, you're south. So we're all in the south, thanks to white supremacy and racism. And it's got us all in such a state of ubiquitous, intellectualized insanity that we don't even know which way is up. Isn't that something? <laughs> you know, um... Racism and supremacy has got us so confused that we don't even know who the real enemy is. And I'm very clear. The enemy is not a color. You cannot see the enemy. The enemy is a mentality. It is how one thinks. No matter how you look, no matter who you're having sex with, no matter how much money you have, if you promote the concepts and of white supremacy and racism and you benefit from them, then that's a problem. And most of us don't even know the difference. So I wanted to start with saying what the difference is to white supremacy and racism. Because human beings are three-dimensional people, we have a physical, psychological, and social dimension. Uh, slavery was our 
injustice perpetuated against a group of people based on how they look. That physical exploitation ended with the 13th Amendment, uh, except for, what is it, Mississippi did not lost slavery until 1990. But anyway, basically the 13th Amendment outlawed slavery. So the physical injustice stopped. However, the psychological injustice, white supremacy, has never stopped. And the social injustice, racism, never stopped. Now, white supremacy is simply a concept that says white is supreme period. And we are given an entire vocabulary to make sure that every baby, every child knows this long before they entered school. If you're intelligent, you're not dark, you're bright. If somebody wants to give you information, they enlighten you. If it's a, if you're doing a crime and it's okay, it's fair game. So, you know, Snow White, I mean, everybody's white, white angels, white God, white this, everything is white. This <laughs> you got to fit in the adjective if you're going to move forward. Otherwise, so we are trained to love white, and likewise, we are trained to hate black. So the black cat's evil, not the white cat. You have a black day, a dark day, a dark mystery, dark history, dark this. So of course, by the time you're six, you don't want any dark, anything dark. I'm a nigger. I'm not black. I want the white child. So we have forgotten our history. And if you don't know history, you get sucked into white supremacy, which is why the miseducation system, which does a great job in miseducating us, makes sure that it's focusing on engineering, science, and math as opposed to geography and history. People don't know geography and history because those are tools of empowerment. STEM are tools for capitalism. So they're training us to be fantastic capitalists, but empowering us to buy into white supremacy and racism. So basically, if you know your history, you know that Africans are the first people on the planet, first human beings of the planet, the progenitors of the entire human species and human race. And for the first four million years of human evolution, there is only one color people on earth, and that's black people. We are the first people on earth for the first four million years. And we invented civilization 12,000 years before there was a United States or a place called America, 10,000 years before there was a Rome, 3,000 years before there was a Greece. It was all African people. And we invented every single high culture ever known to humankind, starting with Kemet, which was later called Eth. Egypt by the Greeks, and then later called the United Arab Republic. In the Bible, it's called Sais. So when you see S-A-I-S, you know you're talking about Africa in the Bible. We went on to invent the second high culture, and that high culture goes back 12,000 years. We went on to invent the second high culture, Sumer, which was later called Mesopotamia, Babylon, Assyria. In the Bible, it's called Chaldea, but it's still African people. Today, it's called Iraq. We went on to invent the third high culture, Sumer, in the land of India by the Dravidian people based on the Harapan. Then we went on to invent the Shang culture, which is the first dynasties in so-called present-day Asia started with African people, the Shang people, city named after us, Shanghai. And then we continue to invent the final high culture, Olmec culture, in Mexico, Guatemala, Yucatan Peninsula, the first time pyramids we see built outside of Africa, all invented by African people. But if you don't know that history, then you will think that you're Europeans invented everything. All of this was invented before there was ever a Europe, before there was ever a Rome. All of this high culture was invented. Therefore, Sheikh Antadia named it, uh, really coined it superbly in his book, Civilization or Barbarism. 
before today, we think there are races and colors, but there, when the world started and when we were in control, there were only two types of people on the planet. You were either civilized or you were a barbarian. That was it. And the whole world looked to Africa to civilize the planet. We were the only civilized people on the planet. The barbarian hordes that came down from the European steppes, which initially destroyed the so-called Holy Roman Empire, were the Goths, the Visigoths, the Ostrogoths, the Lombards, the Franks, the Jews. All of those people, those barbarians, eventually evolved into what is now called Europe. And the African cultures continued to thrive. All universities all were all in Africa. If you wanted to go to school, whoever you are, you had to come and study at the feet of black Africans. And even today, we know all of this because of the system of radiocarbon dating, which was invented by the great African genius, Dr. Sheikh Anta Diop. So if it were not even for uh, a black man, Sheikh Anta Diop, we cannot even do the radiocarbon dating. So today, we are living in a society that has destroyed our history, will not teach history. You can get 10 PhDs and not know this information, because if we know this information, we can eliminate white supremacy racism. And in doing so you eliminate capitalism because white supremacy and racism was born to project, manifest, and protect capitalism. And there are very few problems on the planet that we can look at today that don't come down to being caused by white supremacy or racism. So the enemy is a mentality. It's the way one thinks, not how one looks. Doesn't matter if you're black, you can still be an enemy if you're promoting white supremacy and racism. So I'm very clear about that and racism makes sure that we don't know that. And this paradigm shift occurred after the bubonic plague in um, Europe. Right as the Crusades uh, began to develop, because the um, Holy, the Romans were trying, the Europeans, excuse me, were trying to increase their economy because the bar- the bubonic plague destroyed half the population. So they had to go out and find people to work. They need to find laborers. There was a lot of crime in Europe. There was so much crime that the prisons in Europe were totally overflowing with convicts. Mm-hmm. That's how much crime there was. During the same period, Africa is thriving. Timbuktu, Janine, the Nuba people, the Oyo. There are so many great cultures going around in Africa, and we don't have this information because, of course, we know it has been destroyed. But at this point, basically, the center of enslavement is focused on other Caucasians and Arabs. The group that was enslaved so much, they were given the nickname slaves, that are Slavs, and that's where the whole country of Yugoslavia came from. And now we think that only black people are slaves. Ironically so, not one slave was ever taken out of Africa, and not one slave made it to America. Only enslaved human beings were taken out of Africa and forced into the states. To this day, racism continues to force us to call our ancestors slaves. And the best we can do is ex-slave. Ironically, you have a whole nation of criminals. We know there are criminals. They left the prisons as criminals, got on the ships and came to the Western Hemisphere as criminals, but we don't call them criminals to this day. The entire so-called United States was colonized to dump Europe's prisoners, and that whole dumping process of prisoners had to stop after the American Revolution in 1776 when they stopped them, and then they colonized Australia to dump the prison population. Guinea, Jamaica were all established to absorb Europe's prison population. That's how many convicts there were. And even with all of this information, to this day, thanks to white supremacy, 
people don't really know that Caucasians make up less than 10% of the world population. They are the minority on the planet. This has got, this is why, <clears throat> excuse me, the character assassination of black men started with, if I remember correctly, Aristotle and Alexander the Great. Well, in terms of the delineation well, of... Well, you want to remember that the Greeks were not racist. The Greeks had no problem learning for us. The Greek gods, Zeus, Apollo, those are all Africans. All the Greeks named their gods after us. It were the Romans who enslaved the Greeks and forced the Greeks to teach mm -hmm. them everything they had learned from us. It was the Romans who invented this whole concept mm -hmm. of color and white supremacy, not the Greeks. Mm -hmm. And remember, before there were Greeks, Minoan culture was African culture, 3,000 years before the Greeks. So once we see the Romans coming in after the pyramids, after the dynastic Kemet, after we had invented all that, coming in and realizing that they wanted to take everything we had, once they came in, tried to destroy as much information as possible, destroyed the records, destroyed the books, destroyed yes. the images, yes. at that point they decided to start time anew. That's why we have the delineation between before current era mm -hmm. and current era. Mm -hmm. They started at zero once they took all the information and then tried to teach the world that the Europeans invented civilization and so forth and so on. But there is very little that we use today that was not invented by an African. Even the computer is based on an African religious system of Ifa. The entire computer system is based on an African spiritual system. And because we have been on the planet for so long, there's very little on the planet that was not invented by African people, except for white supremacy and racism. So, <laughs> so I, I want to be clear, white supremacy is psychological terrorism. and It is taught to everyone, specifically through the language. You know, we've been taught we can't disrespect females by saying you throw like a girl or you're such a sissy. So we have to change that. You can't say manhole. This is a woman hole. It's not a maid. It's not a master bedroom. It's a main bedroom. We're not supposed to insult other people, but we can still use the word dark and black to insult as many people as possible. Uh, entire culture are, you, we are de uh, devalued with those words. That's because we don't know that history. And because if you know history, you know that black people were geniuses. That's why people graduate wearing black robes, because black is the color of genius. We know that black is the color of beauty. We know that that's why when you get all dressed up, you got to put on that little black dress, piece of black tie affair. You got to get in that black limousine. Yes, know, you do. <laughs> we know that black is the color of, of justice. That's why... Judges wear robe, black robes. We police wear black because black is the color of power. We know if you want the best beer, it's dark beer. The best chocolate, dark chocolate. And the most beautiful man, dark, tall, and handsome. <laughs> and we know that the best joy in the world is D-light, which means dark, not light. And, and, and say nothing to my chocolate sisters. <laughs> Fabia. Sister Kuji Kajalia. Yeah. Yes. I, I slipped. Yes. No problem. Pill. No problem. Um, you are just so beautiful. Oh, thank you. Your mind wisdom is, as is beautiful. beautiful as your, wisdom that's what is I'm saying. Be, your man. mind is as beautiful as you are. And there's so just, much information. I just <laughs> yes, would love yes. to just go on and on and yes. on. <laughs> that's part two. Please stay tuned because part two with this sister is happening as we speak. You'll hear it soon. 
Thank you so much for coming down Thank and enlightening us. And, and I want to invite everybody down to the... The Berkeley Public Library of Shattuck on for Black History Month on February 27th be doing the history of African American classical music. Most folks call it jazz. How can people get in touch with you? Uh, best way to get in touch with me, because I'm not a computer, don't email me, don't get in touch with my computer. If you want to get in touch with me, call me, 510-798-7330, or my website, www.kujichaguliafavia.com. One more time with that phone number. 510-798-7330. Thank you so much. Thank you. You have been listening to Kuji Kajalia. She has graced us. Let us know if you're enjoying our show here at Full Circle 94.1 FM in Berkeley. We'd love to hear from you. I want some feedback. Let me know what you think, please. This brings us to the end of tonight's show. So check us out on the web where you can listen to the past shows. I want to say thank you to our technical team, to Miss M, our producer, to Frank Freewilling Sterling, to the board op, to the board op we have in there, Greg Jackson. And I also want to say that they're accepting applications now. Get them in by the 12th, I think it is, of February. So if you're interested, give us a holler. Thank you. I'm Ron Thompson. See you soon.